0: The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com Namaste and good evening to all of you. In tonight's presentation, in tonight's satsang, I will approach, I'll give some explanations about the concept of cycles of time and in specific Kali Yuga, it's because we often in yoga, in lectures, in various discourses, we use formulas such as like nowadays in Kali Yuga and so on. And many people don't really understand much of it. When we give explanations, we say Kali Yuga is a name which the great yogis from India and later from Tibet they had given to the epoch, to the age of time where we live and it means, it tends to have a negative connotation because it means something like debased spiritual times it's a little bit like the some of the Christian concepts in some Christian denominations where they speak about the latter days that they are the final days before some powerful regeneration. Uh, In fact, this concept of yugas is very difficult and I would like to explain some of the technicalities of it so that um, you see some of the coordinates which uh, circumscribe this concept of Kali Yuga. Otherwise, it seems to be a very arbitrary thing. There are people who even feel that, oh, you know, the fact that I read in some text that some people say, oh, this is Kali Yuga or something. It's like a sort of a pessimistic, negativistic, way of looking upon the world and then you get to condemn everything and to be bitter about everything. So the word which comes together with those words written there is the word yuga. It is spelled exactly like the word yoga but with you instead of oh I forgot to write him, to write it there. It's a simple word. So the word yuga tends to mean a cycle, a cycle in time, a temporal cycle. Of course, the biggest problem is that uh, the Vedic culture and generally the Indian civilization has been fascinated by this theory of cycles. As some philosophers have analyzed, there are some people, some religions, some mythologies that have a linear time such as for example in Christianity or starting with Judaism actually we speak about the creation of the world which is supposed to have been some 7000 years ago and some landmarks along that such as Moses and Jesus and then the end of the days and the final salvation but nobody says then it's going to start all over again no is just a sort of a one-time run it's a big show with one in nature we see that actually we have lots of cycles the planets go in cycles the galaxies go in cycles that's why the Vedic uh, philosophy has always looked upon history as cycles 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 like it is all recurring what is happening today not with the same characters, not into details, but as a matter of principle, what is happening today may have happened 25,000 years ago or 25 million years ago. Almost similar, exactly as the most simple example of a cycle would be the cycle of the seasons, the year. For people who live in a clear temperate climate, it's very clear when it is spring, summer, autumn, winter, it makes a perfect difference. Each season has got its own characteristics and all that. The Hindu philosophy, the Hindu mythology, the Vedic culture has been very concerned with these cycles and it has gone perhaps a little bit exaggerated like their meditation on cycles of time has been has reached some formidable dimensions they have tried to see like the obvious cycles which is the most simple obvious cycle the diurnal cycle every day the Sun is rising in the east and it's making there are some small differences according to the solstices or the equinoxes that's a fact we have the 24-hour cycle It's a cycle which governs all the life on this planet. There are biorhythms and everything which move according to this. But then there is the cycle of the moon. The moon has its own cycle in about 29 days. Therefore, here we have cycles of one day. Here we have cycles of 29 days. Then we have the yearly cycle, which is 360 years. And then if you start looking, you start finding so many cycles some of them shorter and shorter for example there is a cycle of about two hours which is used in acupuncture each one of the 12 meridians from acupuncture is active during a period of about two hours and it goes every 24 hours the 12 meridians Um, The same is valid in astrology, by the way, that the astrological signs are rising, each one of them, for about two hours. And there are cycles even shorter than that. For example, the Indian tradition is very keen, the yogic tradition, is very keen on a cycle which they call muhurta, from where there comes the famous expression brahma muhurta. Muhurta is an interval of time of 48 minutes. And Brahma Muhurta are the last 48 minutes before sunrise. Just before the sun is rising. And Brahma Muhurta is traditionally in the Indian tradition. Especially the best time to do meditation. And in the Tantric tradition it is the hour of Tara. Of the goddess Tara. So there are so many cycles. No, which like this cycle of 48 minutes if you multiply it you'll see that it fits exactly in the 24 hours so there are lots of cycles there and there are cycles even shorter than 48 minutes some of them have been taken to 10 at the minus 15th potency of a second and it is shorter than the time necessary for a quantum transition which is the shortest time known in nature by modern physics and the time which was conceptually used by some of the Vedic philosophers was shorter than that. Like what does a human being that handles a plow and a shovel need a time which is 10 at the minus 15th of a second? You know, it's like it's totally impractical. It's obviously a product of the meditation and of the mind. And then at the other end, you start having cycles which are longer and longer. There is a 12-year cycle given by Jupiter, but also given by the Chinese calendar. It's pretty much the same. Then you have a cycle which is going five elements multiplied with 12 years. It's a 60-year cycle. Then you have astrological cycles, like the transits of Saturn, which are re-happening every about 29 years. And when you start multiplying and making measures of them, Then you have the cycle of 420 years which the Tibetan astrologers consider that it's the average time between two incarnations, between two successive incarnations and then you start moving at some cycles of time which become insignificant for the human life because you will never catch two of those cycles. As soon as cycles go beyond 100 years it means you are never going to see one full cycle of those and then some cycles which are thousands of years and tens of thousands of years and then there are cycles which are hundreds of thousands hundreds of millions hundreds of billions of years and then it becomes incomprehensible the cycles of time the real big cycles of time the one which is 432 billion years it gets to be called the day of Brahma. And in the Vedic mythology, what is 400 billion years, terrestrial years, in this universe is just a day for Brahma. And when Brahma spends a thousand such days, that makes a day of Vishnu, which is around 400 trillion years. And 400 billion years is already more than what modern astronomers consider as the date of birth of the universe in the big bang theory so who can address things which are so fantastically remote in time and that is why i'm simply calling your attention on the fact on one thing the vedic tradition and the tibetans have been borrowing uh, happily from it So the yogis from India and Tibet, they have been under the umbrella of this concept. They knew of a lot of cycles in time and some of these cycles in time seem to be too short or too long and therefore completely impractical. Like what's going to happen when this day of Brahma will be over? Anybody can say well heck if I care you know it's like what do I know it's like practically for the human consciousness and for the human life and for the small cup of tea in which we live our lives even for this planet it's completely insignificant it's out of the range that we can even conceive those things. By the way of this, I will say that these things come from very high levels of consciousness. It's first of all Vishuddha Chakra which handles the cycles of time. Then when you go to the music of the spheres, there are even things related to Ajna Chakra. So we are talking about a global consciousness, a cosmic consciousness. And this global cosmic consciousness uh, simply says that it is very relevant for you to think in these terms. This is how the gods think. Like Brahma doesn't care what's happening in one year, but might care about what's happening in 400 billion years. Sometimes when you live your life like this, (coughs) you see immediately a sort of detachment appeared, like you break something or you do something. And then if you ask yourself, who will know about this in 100 years from now? What will be the consequences of this mishap of mine In not in a hundred billion years, in just a hundred years from now? Suddenly you don't care anymore. Suddenly you can get totally detached because people living in a very small cup of tea, it seems that, oh, I did this today, so tomorrow I can't do that. What will be the consequence in a hundred years? What will be the consequence in a thousand years? It's nothing. The universe couldn't care less about the fact that you dropped and broke something or about this or about that. So this makes you see immediately some futility in the human life, some smallness, some pettiness. And these were meditations. The people in the Vedic tradition use this as a meditation. You know, like try to think what will happen in a, a long, long time or in the next yuga or in... The, then suddenly you realize that things are much bigger than the human life that the human life and the human existence is just a small ant compared to the universe there is a beautiful legend i'm divagating a little bit but it's good to catch the spirit as a yogic spirit uh, there is a beautiful legend with indra the king of gods which he's going berserk out of pride out of arrogance vanity like any temporal ruler He is getting caught. He is the king of the gods, but he is not without an ego. The gods can be very egocentric. They have proportionally bigger egos. Nobody says that the gods, the deities, are without egos. On the quite the contrary, and Indra has a proportion who is basically the Sanskrit name for Jupiter, for Zeus, corresponding to planet Jupiter in astrology. Indra is becoming megalomaniac. He's asking the architect of the gods, Brihaspati, to bring, to build magical palaces, which appear and disappear, and they are, but they are not, and their shape can change, and Maya is there fully, and it's like mirror palaces, and magic uh, portals between worlds, and so on, like some real, sophisticated, godly things, and he just goes on megalomanically building, you know, and Brihaspati is like, you know, why are we wasting our time fulfilling megalomanic dreams of Indra? And they go to the divine aspects, which in the Hindu tradition are Shiva, Vishnu, Brahma, Brahma Vishnu, Shiva. And he simply kind of reports it, complains and says, you know, maybe you don't know up here. But somewhere in the middle, not down on the earth, but somewhere in the world of the gods, Indra seems to have gone really berserk, like he lost it completely. He's living out some megalomaniac thing. And then, of course, the greater aspects of divinity interfere. And there comes uh, suddenly in front of uh, the palace, there appears a small child and the child has a lot of auspicious signs is like a Brahmin child and Indra invites him as a guest in the good tradition of treating the guests well and then suddenly the child starts laughing and Indra says why are you laughing like and the child says oh I saw that row of ants and uh, I laughed and he said why did the row of ants make you laugh and he said well don't ask me it's going to bring you a lot of sorrow and uh, I don't know if before he gives the explanation or after there arrives at the door of the palace an ascetic and the ascetic has a very funny feature that he has a hairy chest but the hairy chest is shedding part of the hair is off so he's having a bald spot on his chest in his hair on the chest And again, Indra says, what's the meaning of this strange thing? And the ascetic says, don't ask me. You are going to suffer if I tell you what this is. And of course, Indra gets conquered by his curiosity. And he insists with the child and with the ascetic to tell him the mystery of this. Two interesting challenges in one day. And the child, I'm making the story short. It could have been told in a very fantastic way. The child says, well, I was laughing because each one of those ants used to be an Indra in a previous day of Brahma. And now there are ants, you know, and there are like tens of thousands of them, you know, which kind of tells to Indra, you're nobody, you're an ant in this universe and those ants have been Indra's once. So all your megalomania is just a real big illusion there. And then (coughs) the ascetic, the child is Vishnu and the ascetic is Shiva himself. And Shiva tells him the same thing, that every time when a day of Brahma is gone, one of his hairs falls off his chest. And that's why he's bald on the chest, because about half of the days of Brahma are over. And then Indra goes into high chakras, you know, he goes into a higher consciousness, because it's like you zoom back the camera, and suddenly you see how small you are, and how big the universe is. And how insignificant all the fuss about little things is. And this moves you to Vishuddha, to Ajna, Chakra. And the conclusion is that Indra wants to resign. Suddenly he's going so detached that he's saying oh this is because I'm sitting here and fulfilling this office of being the king of the gods you know what I resign I go in the forest to meditate because I'm going stupid you know being the king of the gods here and then Vishnu and Shiva have to convince him to stay because that is his karma yoga that is his dharma mind. you cannot have the king of the gods just desert his function because then there is no ruler of the deities so he has to stay there he's required but he has not to forget some bigger truths as well. So this is where the science of the Yugas helps us a lot because it puts things into perspective and the great yogis have supported this and they have mentioned it often because it makes see life and the human being in a very different perspective and it uh, calms down the ego. Every time when you go in Vishuddha and Ajna, The ego has not much relevance however i need to say before i tell you the most widely accepted uh, enunciation of how this is and what importance it has for you as practitioners of spirituality that precisely because there are so many cycles like this culture has gone so much into cycles the tibetans the late tibetan spirituality where the Tibetan Tantra started coming forth a lot. They created the so-called class of Tibetan text called Anuttara Yoga Tantra. And in the Anuttara Yoga Tantra texts, a pli- place of pride is given to the famous Kala Chakra Tantra. And Kala Chakra, the original concept of this text which the Dalai Lama is praising so much and is giving initiations into, the original concept Kala chakra. Kala means time and chakra means wheel. So Kala chakra is the wheel of time. A lot of the theory of Kala chakra mentions exactly the cycles of time and people will say is this some intellectual curiosity? Are we talking about this just because we need to know these things? No, there is much more. There are very important practical consequences. And especially for spiritual practitioners. That's why Kala Chakra in Tibetan Buddhism. And many equivalent texts. The Shiva Svarodaya. And others in the Hindu tradition. They are very respected. Very uh, revered amongst yogis. Because they do have some important practical consequences. Which I will try to outline for you in the end of this uh, presentation. So the only problem is that because this culture, especially the Vedic one, has defined so many cycles of time, and because India is more than a country, it's a subcontinent, as it is called geographically, and it has been the birthplace of so many religions and spiritualities, and in the time when there was no telephone, television, and other unifying information, Means, because of this lots of schools, lots of gurus, lots of parts of India they have picked up one or another one of these and they made it their mainstay and that's why some people go more astrologically, some people go more metaphysically some people go more according to some svara yoga knowledge and that's why sometimes today when you try to pick up the information and put it together you get lots of contradictions and confusions like some people say no we are in this cycle no we are in that cycle what and now then you come with all the world knowledge and you say what about the mayan cycle in 2012 we were supposed to finish one of the mayan four thousand year long cycles or something how does that interfere with the Yugas from Hinduism and with other and i like all of them must have a relevance since especially in the Mayan calendar but of course very much in the Hindu astrology all these cycles are calculated according to astronomy they are very accurate astronomical calculations so I'm saying all these things uh, because metaphysicians fought with this thing a lot There is a class of um, spiritual students who define themselves in the 20th century as esotericists and more often as metaphysicians. Uh, These people were of the opinion that the truth is one. Uh, Maybe they have been influenced by the um, statements of the Theosophical Society 20, 30 years before their big emergence. The Theosophical Society was quoting often a dictum of the Brahmins from Varanasi, from Benares in those days, which were saying there is no religion higher than truth. Exactly like you would study the physics and the chemistry of everything. That's why it's even called metaphysics, the physics of the bigger reality, invisible worlds as well the physics of the beyond or beyond physics it can also be translated like this and what I'm trying to say here is the attempts to clarify these cycles of time they are actually not belonging to Swami Vivekananda and now this research has been done already in the 1920s 30s, 40s, 50s by some of the greatest metaphysicians in the west the funny thing is that the metaphysicians are not very exciting people If I am teaching to you some dynamic Osho meditation and you start hopping and dancing and screaming and rolling on the floor, that's some exciting event that you can go home and talk about. If we are doing a Tantra workshop, uh, you are experiencing some things about the sexual energy and the sexual things and you can write it on your blog like, wow, I've been in Agama and I did a Tantra workshop and it was so exciting. But metaphysicians are not very exciting people, except for the people who are intellectually excitable, and that number is very reduced. And that's why you didn't get to hear much about metaphysicians, because metaphysicians are highly intellectual people. Among the highest level metaphysicians of the 20th century, we can quote the Frenchman René Guénon, which very few of you here have heard, especially the newcomers in Agama, because I mention his name often. Uh, there's been an Indian gigantic metaphysician called Ananda K. Kumaraswamy. There's been an Italian gigantic metaphysician called Julius Evola. And uh, there have been a few others of, of this category. And these metaphysicians, they basically said, we have to simply give to people the naked truth, like take out all the ethnic things, take out all the superstitions, take out all the linguistic and religious formalisms, and give me something like physics, like mathematics. You know, give me something accurate. No stories that this says, why does Christianity say that there was a flood of Noah some 6,000 years ago? What's this flood of Noah? And what's the meaning of that date and all that? So was there really a flood? You know, Ken, is it possible that you have a flood that floods the whole planet or at least a very significant large geographical area and lasts for so long time? And why is it there? Why does it have this eschatological meaning that when the flood of Noah was, people had gone really bad and there was a race of giants on the earth and God basically wiped them out, all of them and then noah started a brave new world no like what is the this the symbol of like metaphysicians don't want to live in legends and myths they want to have a sort like a history book like the accurate facts years data eliminating all the mythological and legend factor so these people fought a lot and they clarified a lot of these things about the cycles of time And that's why I'm saying this, because until today, there persist many alternative informations about the cycles of time, and some of them refer to other cycles. I'm not saying some of them are not true, but they are not our concern, especially in this lecture tonight, and some of them, unfortunately, are erroneous. Perhaps the most disturbing such example is the example of the cycles of time as preached by Sri Yukteswar, the guru of Yogananda Paramahamsa. The lineage of Yogananda coming from uh, Lahiri Masaya, Yukteswar and then he himself is a very respected lineage in the Indian yoga. But uh, this shows once more that even the yogis, even the enlightened yogis, when it comes to intellectual knowledge, they are prone to make some errors of evaluation or otherwise said, you could say no one is perfect. It would be a mistake to think that because Sri Yukteshwar was an enlightened yoga guru, automatically his astronomical theories are also right. It's one of the more disturbing because when you are confronted with the authority of a slash Yogananda, then it's like, okay, are you going to say it plainly? These guys are 99% right. And in this one circumstance, unfortunately, they've been wrong. That's God's truth. So in this way, there are many erroneous theories besides those from Yukteshwar and others. And that's why what I'm trying to give to you here, I'm trying to give you the most widely accepted metaphysical version and there are also other cycles which have not been taken into account such as the five element uh, 12 animal Chinese and then Tibetan uh, version I'm not going into all those because we don't have time there is one of these cycles which is a very particular importance because apparently it runs some very important changes in the planet. If you will look carefully at the history of the planet over the last 2000 years because that's what we know better, even this has serious contenders, this is a parenthesis, there is a Russian academician who is coming from you know Russian ex-communist, very secular, very square type of science, like he is not a new age person or somebody who gets channeled messages from mother ships from other galaxies or others like we are talking about and this Russian academician claims with astronomical and calendar things that most of the calendar which we use today in the west is fake that actually most of the history is about a thousand years old and Jesus was born like 900 years ago not 2,000 years ago and he can demons. he has treatises as thick as that where he demonstrates it astronomically with sources, with Chinese chronicles, with all sorts of stuff, and when you read it, you are—it gives. It's one of the real puzzling books which I have seen in my life, because the guy is dead serious, and he basically says the known history of the West is not even 1,200 years old. Like the Roman Empire was not 2,500 years ago, and all this are fake data and he explains how the calendar has reached to this uh, erroneous thing so what I'm trying to say history is so mysterious that even this we don't know but if we refer to the last 2000 years of history as officially we know it even there we can see some periodicities like when I look at spirituality and I say where did the largest spiritual movements New religions, prophets, major spiritual personalities, reformers. When did they get born? You always find them in clusters. You find them born in one and the same century. Like something happens around the seventh century in ad i'm talking about something happens around the 10th century something interesting happens around the early 13th century something big happens in the 14th 15th century like you find clusters it's not a uniform distribution which shows that even great spirits which reform religions which create mass movements on this planet they are not born accidentally you no know, even in yoga We have a huge array of great masters starting with Ramakrishna, Vivekananda, Ramana Maharishi, Yogananda, you name it, Shivananda. But then a 100 years before them, it's empty, it's void. Like we don't know a single great master of that category born in 1750, for example, in India. It's like India, the Indian soul was sleeping in 1750. And suddenly in 1850, it starts boiling up great yogis. So, these things are not coincidence because of course everything, history and everything corresponds to some major cycles in time and there are some moments of necessity, exactly as rain comes in the rainy season. It sometimes comes outside of the rainy season, but not as much and as predictably as in the rainy season. So, uh, we can see the presence of a lot of cycles. But then there exists one major cycle, and again, it's up to you. If you are a person with a fascination of Vishuddha Chakra, of Ajna Chakra, of astronomy, of astrology, and you dwell on these subjects a lot, then keep dwelling on it. You are going to dig up some incredible stuff by dealing, by dwelling onto the mystery of time and cycles of time and you are going to see some cycles and some correlations with astrology and other things which uh, normal people never understood and there is a lot into this. But out of them when we say we are in Kali Yuga we're actually referring to a very peculiar cycle. Among all these cycles of tens of years, years, hundreds of years and so on There is a pretty long cycle, which has a very vast influence. Like some people would say, Swami, right now it's what? We are in the year of the snake, I think, if I remember correctly. And we are in the year of the snake, and there has been a year of the snake 12 years ago. Look at your lives. All of you are older than 12 years of age, so you definitely remember what it was 12 years ago. Is this year what happened from... 1st of March until today. Is it in any way similar with what happened 12 years ago to you? Can you see any recurrence? Then somebody smarter will come and say, yes, Swami, but now it is the year of the snake, but it is uh, the fire year of the snake or the water year of the snake. And 12 years ago, it was the year of the earth snake. So, then we have to go 60 years ago. Very few of you have caught something 60 years ago. To be able to count back 60 years ago and to look to that year and to see if there is any similarity, if you can remember anything from 60 years ago. And that's why what I'm saying is, it's very difficult to follow some of these cycles in time, especially in the moment when they go to 60 years and more. It's almost impossible. And then many people will say, what can we derive from this. Like some years they have a very strange they've had very strange climate aberrations. I remember that last year or two years ago actually, here in Kopangan we had a monsoon in March. March is one of the least rainy months in Copangan meteorologically. And yet in March we got water on the streets up to the knees that the motorcycles couldn't run anymore because the engines are getting drowned and all the boats stopped and everybody was stranded. Like one week, we were in flood zone, although it's a hilly area. No, And some elders from the island, they said that many, many years ago, same thing had happened in March. Like this is a pattern, which again, may correspond to some cycles, which modern science does not take into account, but astronomically, astrologically, and from other standpoints are there. Enough with that. There exists a large cycle which the yogis consider that it has these visible influence, like the seasons. Every time, take it even in Thailand where the seasons are different from Europe or North America. Even here you have seasons, right? There is a rainy season. And everybody knows that in the rainy season you expect the weather to be more like this and more like that. So exactly as there are cycles which are visible, and kind of obvious exactly in the same way the yogis have identified some major cycles in time which have a very visible spiritual influence. Uh, now if I say spiritual influence it doesn't mean that not physical because spirit and matter and the spiritual state of the human being is related a lot with the climate and other things. For example, there are many esotericists who claim that when you live in a country like Japan and there you see a lot of earthquakes, tsunamis and other things, it is related with a frustration, a tension, violence and a lot of things which exist in the Japanese behavior and so like the nature responds or corresponds to the human beings, because we can say what was the first, the egg or the hen. Maybe the human beings are so violent and bloodthirsty because they are living on a land which is volcanic, seismic, prone to hurricanes and other violent climate manifestations fact is that a great yogi like Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the guru of the Beatles is so called, very little of that is actual fact, and the one who founded the transcendental meditation the TM movement, Maharishi said that if at least 2% of the world population would practice daily at least 40 minutes of meditation it would be possible to change the cosmic cycles softly, without cataclysms ...without catastrophes, which means if people would be harmonious, would sublime the energy, would stop killing animals, would do all the things of yama and niyama, nature would suddenly calm down. And there are many people who seem to observe and they say, I don't know what's happening, but there are more storms, more um, uh, earthquakes, more natural catastrophes seem to happen as the years are passing. And some people will say, yeah, it must be the global warming or something. And some people would say, it's also the fact that there are more people overloading the surface of this planet. And those more people are most of them selfish, demonic, materialistic, and a lot of other negative characteristics. And this produces invisible, visible, but through an invisible pathway, reactions from nature like indeed there are more storms and earthquakes and we produce them because we are disharmonious because we are disturbing the ecosystem but by this I understand the global ecosystem including subtle energies, mind, emotions and a lot of such things. So in the moment when I speak about the cycle which is important spiritually automatically I'm talking even about different climate conditions. I remember I had a disciple when I was teaching in Denmark and he was mature at the time of the flower power in the 60s he was on and uh, I asked him you know like now that you came to yoga and you understand about the chakras and so on you who have been a hippie in the 60s and have been full on into that what can you tell me from a yogic standpoint? How was the energy among people? How was the energy? And and he said, you know, it's very interesting that you ask it because I can't demonstrate it, but I had the very clear feeling that even the climate in Denmark was less rainy. There were definitely more sunshine days per year in those days because people were the, the way they were. and. I could agree with him, I said probably it's not just a suggestion, probably no meteorological measurements have been looking in that direction and it's taken as an aberration, but uh, basically it is possible, people influence the planet and the planet influences the people. If you stay on a place where the telluric energy, if you live, if you build your house on a place where the telluric energy is disturbed, three years later you get a cancer and until that day, every day you get migraines, headaches and you behave like a jerk because you have headaches and you are a very unpleasant person. And it all comes from the fact that karmically you have been pushed to build your house on a real lousy spot and therefore we influence the planet but the planet also influences us and we are part of a system. So the yogis have identified a cycle which is the same with the cycle of precession of equinoxes. In hundreds of years and thousands of years of astronomy slash astrology, they realized that the polar star is changing because the very axis of the Earth wobbles, like when children spin a top and the top goes a little bit like this and therefore the Earth doing a movement like this. There exists a funny movement which is called in astronomy the precession of the equinoxes. And this movement has a full rotation of almost 26,000 years. It is actually 25,868 by one of the measurements quoted regularly in astronomy, in astronomical almanacs. Therefore, this cycle of 26,000 years got to be called a Yuga, or sometimes some people call it a Maha Yuga, but that's pushing it because the name is used for a much bigger cycle. And then this cycle of 26,000 years, which may seem highly insignificant for you, like what do I care about something which may have happened, 26,000 years, why do we even talk about this? It's before every history which is known on this planet, but you are going to see things are much more interesting than that. So, basically, to make the long story short, the yogis say the spiritual history repeats itself, although not identical. It's like a spiral, but even a spiral keeps coming back to the point where it was, although at a different level, and there is a sort of recurrence every 26,000 years. From this cycle, they are derived all those which you which i said about for example this 26000 years it is multiplied by 7 and then by another 7 like 7 rising 7 down and it gives 14 times if you have the curiosity to multiply 14 with 26000 you will reach to a cycle of 342000 years which is called the mahayuga and the thousand of those are 342 million years and then billion years that is the day of brahma So I'm saying that all these things come from mathematical multiplications of some very significant numbers. But this number of 26,000 is a number which is astronomical. This is not just a numerological thing. It comes from astrological factors. This astrological, this uh, big Yuga cycle is subdivided in four. This is a place, for example, where... A great yogi like Yukteswar has a different opinion for a very, very funny reason, <coughs> which is related to the Sanskrit names of those. Yukteswar comes with a funny statement that these four divisions are unequal in length, like the first one is four times longer, like you divide in shares, and the first one has four shares, second one has three shares, the third one has two shares, and the last one has one share. All in all 10 shares, so you should divide 26,000 years in 10, which gives 2,600 years for about one of them, and those 10, then you give four of them to the first, like unequal lengths of time. I want to give you a common sense thinking, first of all. There is nothing in nature which works that way. Like a simple law of metaphysics and esotericism says, like in the hermetic tradition and taken in the others, as above, so below. Like everything is analogous. Kashmiri Shaivism says that there is a multiple reflection of the divine light in the planes of the universe, and that's why everything is alike everything. Even man, Is in the likeness of God because there is a similitude. This similitude makes that when you look around at all the cycles of nature, starting with the astronomical things and finishing with others, you don't find anywhere a division like 4, 3, 2, 1. It doesn't exist in this way. You always, when you look, for example, at a cycle of a year, how is the year divided in seasons? and those seasons are approximately equal. Either we talk about the three seasons in Thailand or we talk about the six seasons in the Indian lore or we talk about the four seasons in most of the Western and most of the world cultures. Exactly like this, the yogis have said the big cycle of 26,000 years is subdivided in four equal parts like the seasons of the year. That corresponds indeed to as above so below. That is the law of nature. I do not want to deny that maybe Yukteshwar had a vision or had some data and there is a cycle as well as he described it in parallel. He might be true but that's not what the great yogis talked about when they talked about those cycles. They talked about four equal cycles which are exactly like you divide the quadrant of a clock in four quarters. It's the four quarters of time. That simply says that a quarter of this major cycle has about 6,400 years and these quarter cycles they are called Yugas. These are the famous Yugas and they have names in Sanskrit Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dvapara Yuga and Kali Yuga which actually do have some meanings and the funny thing is that when we read the Mahabharata which is one of the oldest Indian texts surviving we see that this terminology appears already there and it is related with something very trite and not very spiritual really It is related with a simple game of dice. People were playing dice because humanity has played gambling and entertaining games ever since its inception and basically they are playing a dice game and in the dice game when you throw one in their dice game when you throw one you lose because you can't get lower than one and this throw of one has been called Kali which in, it's very close to the name of the goddess Kali, but it's not the same A and the same I. That's why people make some severe confusions there. Uh, Kali in this exception with a short A and the short I, it actually means bad luck. It means bummer. So it's the first the last of them is called the bummer Yuga. The Yuga like when you throw one on a game of dice and you you lose and Dvapara means two, and which means slightly better, you have some chances, Treta means three, and no Satya doesn't mean four, Satya like in the lecture which you had two days ago in the first level intensive, it means truth, it's the age of truth, the Yuga of truth, the Yuga of three, the Yuga of two, the Yuga of one. Where do these numbers come from, others try to go away from the game of dice, And they made a metaphor which is crazy. In India, the cow is a holy animal. There are so many metaphors with the cow and this. The cow is a symbol of the divine speech. The cow is a symbol. And the cow is a symbol of dharma. Dharma means the will of God. It means the order of the universe. The righteousness. The way things were supposed to be. And then they say... In Satya Yuga, the, the cow of Dharma stands stable on its four legs. Which means Dharma, the, which means a religiousness, righteousness, spirituality, harmonious integration of the human being in the order of things in the universe is full on. And then in Treta Yuga... The cow of dharma stands only on three legs like a lame cow, like a cow that has a sick leg and can't put it down. And therefore the cow of dharma starts being a bit unstable. In Treta Yuga, shitty things start happening. Assholes start being born in some families on the face of the earth and they start creating trouble. And then in Dvapara Yuga, the, the cow of Dharma is impossibly trying to stand on two legs only, which means it's highly unstable. And in Dvapara Yuga, you already see lots of ugliness happening. And in Kali Yuga, oh yes, the cow of Dharma impossibly stands on one leg, which means it basically can't stand it's off it falls off all the time which means the Dharma is gone to the dogs in the last period of time so basically the older Indian scriptures they tell us that there is a division in spirituality that in 26,000 years in a 26,000 years interval spirituality is not equal on the planet earth People would say, but Swami, how can you justify such a thing? Try to think about the climate in Europe or North America or whatever. In the northern hemisphere where you have an emphasized difference in seasons. How can you explain the fact that tulips don't blossom in December? Well, they don't blossom in December because it's cold in December and there comes some freezing time already in the night time. And if there are any tulips planted stupidly by somebody in October, by December they will die because the climate is very unfriendly to them. How do you uh, give or uh, argue, how do you explain the fact that the corn is ripening in July or that the wheat is uh, cropped in July or that the apples are getting ripe in August and September and? All those things which you know from regular farming and regular life that is of course you can say well because the Sun is inclined at a certain angle and it gets more sunny and more warm in the summer in the spring exactly in the same way there is something we don't know what exactly it is which shines more in some six thousand year periods like the Sun is shining in the spring and in the summer and that something produces More spirituality. It's not something visible. If it would be something visible, we would know. We don't know exactly how to explain it, but we see the fruits of it. And the fruits is that the history of humanity is divided in four stages. Those four stages are known by the Greeks. When you read Greek historians, they define the ancient Greek historians, of course, they divide the history of humanity in four ages which are called very significantly the golden age. There was a golden age of mankind. Atheistic psychologists, they say there is no golden age. The golden age is just a sort of projection of the time when you were in the womb of your mother and you got food and everything for free. And that is like the golden age, is a sort of nostalgia of your brain. This is how materialistic scientists are. They never want to accept God, deities, parallel universes, invisible energies. They always try to bring down everything to molecules and chemistry and cells and anatomy and this. So in, uh, in this non-spiritual sciences There is an attempt in anthropology, psychological anthropology and others, there's an attempt to put it down, but fact is that the Greeks and others who followed in their footsteps, they say that there was a golden age of mankind, then it slightly debased and it got called the silver age of mankind, then it got even lower and it got called the bronze age of mankind, that's what we get gold medals, silver medals, and bronze medals, as sort of illustration of the most precious, the second most precious, the third most precious. And finally, the fourth age of mankind would be called the Iron Age of mankind. And even the Greeks agreed 2,500 years ago that that's where we live, that already 2,000 years ago we lived in the Iron Age. This is similar... With the seasons, like in the yearly, in the astronomical year, the first part is always spring, starting from the spring equinox. So spring will correspond to the golden age, Satya Yuga. Summer would correspond to Dvapara, to Treta Yuga, the silver age. Autumn is the bronze age, Dvapara Yuga. And finally winter is the iron age or Kali Yuga. So according to this, if you want me to stop it every time and to refresh it, according to the ancient Greeks, Hindus, Tibetans, and many others, we live in the Iron Age of mankind or in the winter of humanity, which according to the metaphysicians explains lots of things. It is very significant that even the Scandinavian mythology, speaks about the golden age which they call it the age of the gods and then they say that right now we are in the lowest of the four ages, There are four ages and if I remember correctly it's called the age of the wolf. It's a time where it's cloudy, rainy, snowy, dark, wet, cold and it is like a bad time and of course it's full of wars, full of pain, full of violence, full of this and that. I would like at this point to make, uh, because we are talking about cycles and it is exciting that this concept of Kali Yuga talks about the next cycle, exactly as there was a great excitement with this Maya thing. With this Maya thing they suspected that the Maya calendar which is about 5,000 years long cycles, it might actually correspond to the Yugas of the Hindus. And if the Mayan astronomers calculated the 20th December or something was the end of one of those 5,000 year long cycles, then maybe Kali Yuga actually would be over. So there are people who try to make the hybrid between East and West, Mayan and Hindu and so on and they say maybe actually the Kali Yuga was over last year in December. While that is possible, we don't see the signs of that yet and many people have a very strange feeling that we should see the signs but please be aware these are cycles which are not related to the Sun rising so you can see it. There are cycles related to Jupiter and Saturn or God knows what And there are things which normally you don't see unless you would have some specific knowledge in astronomy or others like this. And it's not even related with uh, uh, Saturn and Jupiter. I just gave it as an example. Like something which normal people, they don't have a clue. When does Saturn rise or where is it or things like that. Only people who deal with astronomy, astrology would be aware of such things. So what I'm trying to say here is... I would like to make a thing. Of course, when changing yugas, there will be some very important changes, but those changes stretch over hundreds of years. Even in a almost equatorial, tropical equatorial climate, like in copangan where the sun is rising very quickly and it's setting very quickly because of being almost vertical in trajectory. Even here still there is a twilight period of about 30 minutes 15 minutes before sunrise and 15 minutes after sunrise we have twilight 30 minutes in 24 hours it means actually one 50th of the cycle one 50th of a 26000 year old cycle for example you can calculate it that it's one fifth of 2500 years that's 500 years so if indeed we moved to Satya Yuga last year in December that means there will be a transition period which will last another 250 years before it's full-on so it's way beyond the scope of life of everybody in this room unless you reach like Babaji and you live 2000 years in this body but otherwise you won't see it in this body So that's why it's not really relevant to the day, to the minute, because we are talking about large cycles of time and the changes are small. For example, astronomically, in Europe, North America, where the seasons are so obvious and most of you know them that way, or even in the Southern Hemisphere, if you come from Australia, New Zealand, it's the same, but the other way around. The transition when you get into the spring in the Northern Hemisphere, Astronomically on the 21st of March, at the spring equinox. Calendaristically, we say that the calendar spring starts on the 1st of March. Does it mean that until the 28th of February, it's frosty and snowy and cold, and suddenly on the 1st of March, somebody turns on the sun, and it suddenly can go in a t-shirt? No, there is a transition which takes almost a month Or sometimes more than a month and it relapses sometimes there are some outbursts of cold in the middle of April and so on so it's not really it's not a stable simple linear thing it's the same with the Yugas if we change a Yuga in 2012 or as the Tibetans say in 2240 or something or 2330 We are talking about long, long transition periods, not just a sudden switch where you switch a switch. And now we are in Satya Yuga starting tomorrow morning. (coughs) Uh, New age enthusiasts were expecting that on the 22nd of December last year, we were going to be in a brave new world and everybody was going to get healthy and beautiful. As you saw, nothing happen there is still bloodshed, violence, revolutions, domestic violence, everything goes on. Cancers, you know, everything goes on pretty much same same old, same old. So it's like you can't expect a change of that kind. People who expect this are utopian. They are Zvadistanistic people who think the universe is a cartoon, but the universe does not behave in a cartoony way. It behaves, look at nature. Nature tells us very clearly how things are happening. So that's why I'm saying there are some transition periods and uh, I want to call your attention on the fact that the new age subculture, which is a very heterogeneous thing, the long things are there. they have favored very much a thing (coughs) which is actually a camouflaged anti-Christian propaganda that uh, we are going to finish with the sign of the Pisces and go in the famous Age of Aquarius. This thing with the Age of the Pisces and Age of Aquarius has nothing directly to do with the yugas of the Hindus and Tibetans. As of like the what the Hindus and Tibetans say about the fact that one day Kali Yuga will be over and we will go again in the spring. The winter will be over and we'll go in the golden age it's not about the Aquarian Age of the New Age theories, which is a completely different and pretty perverted concept, which is based on some astronomical things is true, but it is based on some astronomical things without great significance. So coming back to our story here, the biggest problem is therefore To identify these yugas. Like we are being told flatly. By Indian and Tibetan gurus. That we are in Kali Yuga. Yeah but Kali Yuga is supposed to be. 6,400 years old. When did it start? So we know when it's over. Like you know when the spring starts. And when the summer starts. And if you are a farmer. Or a person working with nature. You can plan things. Even here in Agama. People used to come more in certain seasons than in others. Like there are people who know that in November there is a bit of a monsoon here in the island. And therefore some people are not here in November because they don't like rainy weather. And thus, of course, everybody takes account of what's happening in the environment. In the same way, if we are in Kali Yuga, it would be pretty significant to know where in Kalu, it's winter but is it the beginning of winter or the end of winter or the middle of winter or are we one third through the winter through this so called winter because we are talking about extremely big periods of time and it makes um, it makes a difference the Indian mythology and the, the metaphysicians who study this they make a lot of comments on the quality of humanity. For example, I will tell you briefly some things because we don't have time and I don't need to go there but you just need to, to see how violently different things are supposed to be. For example, Indian scriptures, not one, several, the Vishnu Purana, the Kularnava Tantra, the Maha Nirvana Tantra and many, many other texts, when they speak about the Yugas they state things as follows. Satya Yuga which is supposed to have been somewhere like around 20,000 years ago from now so it's out of any known history, we don't have any historical sources from that time. 20,000 years ago Satya Yuga, some people say there was a mini ice age at those times. There is an ice age which allegedly finished some 15,000 years ago and it's not that I deny that but the fact that there was an ice age does not change the statements of the tradition and in Satya Yuga which was a period of 6,000 years around 20,000 years ago people were about 5 meters tall human beings, there were about 100,000 of them on the face of the earth like very small population, people that were very gigantic size their lifespan was approximately a thousand years, like they lived about a thousand years. Those people had such a brain that if they closed their eyes, they would go directly in samadhi. Today, if you close your eyes, and if you are not very sick in your brain, you go in alpha waves. In those days, it was way more than alpha waves. It was samadhi, it was a state of super consciousness. And there was no physical sex, Because men and women were so spiritual that not only that they didn't feel the urge, but they could procreate by simple will. Like if they really wanted to have offspring, which in such a spiritual sparse population was probably happening very seldom anyway. But if they really wanted to do that, the man and the woman would look in each other's eyes and the woman will remain pregnant. Therefore, the concept of immaculate conception does not come from Christianity. It comes from the Vedic tradition where it is stated long time before Christ that men and women can procreate without sperm cells and without physical concept. It's interesting that uh, there is a Tantric text which survived and which uh, Tantric author Elizabeth Sharpie has translated and talks exactly about this, how to get pregnant through your third eye and uh, it is interesting that biologists made some forbidden experiences especially 60-70 years ago when there was less regulation and people were doing more spontaneous and sometimes rogue experiments and they managed to get female eggs fertilized by pricking them with the top of a microscopic needle. By simply pricking a female egg the egg thought that it was penetrated by a sperm cell and started dividing. But it had no DNA from any sperm cell. It just doubled up the DNA of the woman. So there resulted a clone of the female. And it started multiplying, and therefore there resulted pregnancy. And we know that in many animal species, they are hermaphroditical or they have different forms of reproduction. And if there are no males available, the women get themselves pregnant internally and thus the procreation continues even if the opposite gender is not there. That's why it's very interesting that we have all these things in science and religion but they are written long long time ago in the Vedic scriptures. So and those tall few spiritual people they were very very high spirits they are like gods like deities incarnated in those bodies They are of extreme spirituality. They will just close their eyes and go into contemplation, into pure contemplation. Therefore, morally and ethically, they were perfected human beings. They are human beings that didn't care about soap operas. They didn't care about who stole their cheese or stuff like that. They lived a much bigger life of meditation, contemplation, wisdom, a life of wisdom. And... um, (coughs) The the cow of dharma was standing firmly on its four legs. Like human beings, because they could go in samadhi, they could understand the meaning of life. They knew who they were. They knew why they were alive. They knew what their dharma was. They knew what the meaning of life was. And therefore, they lived their lives perfectly, divinely. This, was, this is the utopia, the golden age that we kind of lost and which is a nostalgia. That yes, it can be perfect on earth, but it depends what spirits incarnate and when. It's exactly like some of you will say, I like the season when the stinging nettles are coming up. And my grandmother used to go in the meadows and pick up stinging nettles and make a soup and a broth and they are so healthy and they purify your body and your bloodstream. And I I would like to have some stinging nettles. Well, you don't get them in the winter, do you? You don't get them even in the autumn. Even in the summer, you don't get them because they are too big and too old and they become hard. The only usable stinging nettles are the small ones which grow in the spring. So you want stinging nettles, it has to be spring. Therefore, in the spring of mankind, in Satya Yuga, in the age of truth, called the age of truth because people lived in truth. Like, who am I? This is the truth, not living in Maya. Maya is the big lie. So, Satya Yuga, and the funny thing is that Hindu scriptures say that that civilization came from the far north. Even the Greeks, Greek historians, when they write about the golden age of mankind, they say that the golden age did not happen really in Greece. It happened somewhere far north. This is how Herodotus, or one of the great historians, I might be wrong, one of the real famous historians who speaks about it, he describes it a little bit like this. He says, if you go north, the weather is getting colder and colder, north from Greece. So if you go north, the weather is getting colder and colder. And at some point you encounter Boreas, the terrible wind of the north, which is the wind blowing on the Russian plains in the winter and all that. So you go north, you find the north wind. And then if you get stubborn and keep on going north, you pass over the north wind, and you find a place which is suddenly warm and green and which has a paradise eternal spring kind of climate and that has been called Hyperborea. Hyperborea in Greek means beyond Boreas, beyond the northern wind. So basically there is in metaphysics this statement that there existed a civilization in the far north. Until today it is not elucidated if that means particular climate conditions, if that means some oasis, some place with a microclimate, if that means that those people had extraordinary paranormal powers and they could command an artificial climate with their mind power, create like a sort of a bubble, 100 kilometers around or 1,000 kilometers around and have a sort of climate of their own. Some people even believe that this may be related to the thing that if you go far enough, there is a hole at the North Pole, and then you get in the inner earth, and there is a perfect spring-like climate without seasons and all that. It doesn't matter here, it's not elucidated in metaphysics, but the fact is that it's always the statement that the first culture historically in this spring, summer, autumn, winter cycle were the Hyperboreans and uh, the Hyperboreans are supposed to have been a very bood concept today because unfortunately it was used by the Nazis and others into their weird racial theories while if you read books written before the times of the Third Reich nobody had any qualms about quoting this it was a perfectly accepted anthropological and scientific theory. That is that the first race came from the north and they were blonde people with blue eyes and um, they were Aryans. That's why even the Hindus who brought the Vedas in India, they call themselves the Aryans because they are whiter skinned than the black South Indian inhabitants, the Dravidians and the other. Some people have turned this until today. There are qualms racistic theories both in India and elsewhere. And that's why it has become a bit uh, disturbing or politically incorrect to talk about these things. But if you are going to ask, uh, for example, anthropologists, any honest anthropologist will tell you that the first human skeletons, if you don't take into account the Neanderthal man which is not understood if it was a monkey or not, Research more than 50 percent of the scientists that studied the Neanderthal reminiscences say it was a monkey. It's not actually a man. But uh, the evolutionists try to pull at all cost with their atheistic science to demonstrate that they discovered all the missing links, while in fact there is a huge hole, a huge gap there. And the first really accepted, fully accepted human reminiscence, the Cro-Magnon man, which had a 2.2 kilo brain as compared to the 1.45 kilo brain that we have today, much larger brain than we have today, 50% larger. The Cro-Magnon man has its origin in the Ural mountains of Russia. So it is indeed coming from the area of blonde, blue-eyed parts there. Anyway, this is a long thing. We don't go there. Some people have gone to huge lengths with this one. Uh, It's not interesting for tonight's lecture where we are trying to just, I'm trying to just elucidate for you some of the mysteries of the time cycles. So that was Hyperborea. Uh, It was called by the Scandinavians who had the same concept Thule and that's why even the Nazis called some of their secret societies Thule and today there is a small city called Thule in Greenland, far north in Greenland the Americans have put themselves a military aircraft base there and uh, it's a military station but uh, there appeared such a city exactly as a sort of like okay there was an ancient Scandinavian belief that the furthest north you can go there is there a civilization called Thule and that's where the Hyperboreans came and they are five meters tall blonde with blue eyes living a thousand years and very spiritual and they were the first ones they had contact with Shambhala and all that stuff. And then as the Yugas continued then it it got in different places. Treta Yuga which is the second of them seems to be the flourishing time of Atlantis. All the legends about Atlantis, which disappeared in a major cataclysm around 13,000 years ago, which is 2 times 6,400 years, which is exactly at the end of the Treta Yuga. Treta Yuga was dominated by Atlantis, which in the theory of the five races, as it was anthropologically, very politically correct once upon a time, uh, it was the red race, so it was the Americas, the North and South, and Atlantis was related to those. And then Atlantis went down, and we went into the Dvapara Yuga, which is the beginning. So Shambhala, or the connections with Shambhala, went from Hiperborea to Atlantis. There are some theories in the world of uh, metaphysics that some significant traces of it are found in Ireland, like a sort of a line connecting Atlantis with the ancient Hyperborea, would go through Ireland because there are some mysterious artifacts and architectural things which show that for a while, some of this influence had something to do with Ireland. And then from uh, Atlantis, the survivors moved eastwards, and that moving eastwards, gave some effect somewhere in the eastern Europe of today in somewhere between uh, Ukraine and Kazakhstan there somewhere in the north of the Black Sea uh, or some areas also having some influence all the way down to Egypt and therefore the Egyptian pharaohs the early Egyptian dynasties statements that the Sphinx, the pyramids are much older than 6,000 years and they actually come from that period of time. So all this period of time and the spirituality of it has moved the center somewhere in that area. And finally then we have the landmark of the flood of Noah. I'm going to tell you something about these landmarks in a second and then it has moved further east, the center and it has reached somewhere in the Indo-Himalayan-Tibetan area of today, where you, s- you find in the last 6,000 years most development of spirituality and religion, and of course the fascinating myth of Shambhala, that somewhere north of Lhasa, somewhere towards Mongolia and Gobi, and Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan in that area, there is, there was or is the mysterious entrance or connecting point to Shambhala. So what I'm trying to say is that there exist very particular theories about these yugas. When did they start? When did they end? And that they are associated with Shambhala like Shambhala constantly knows what yuga is on earth, of course, and with forms of civilization specific to those yugas and with their geographic location, and biological characteristics of people, and spiritual characteristics of people, and of course, many people would ask, besides, before talking about the landmarks and so on, that um, this illustrates the idea of a divine plan, like, why does this happen? It's exactly like the seasons, why is there spring and summer, and but, Everybody who knows about nature knows that the whole nature exists and is adapted to the four seasons. Exactly in the same way the spiritual evolution on this planet is governed by these yugas. That's why for the yogis they are so important. Because many yogi, many people who come to spirituality say if spirituality is true, if there is God, if there is nirvana and immortality... If there is a kingdom of heaven, if the indeed there are people who have reached that level of existence, if spirituality is true and so good and so great, why doesn't it conquer the world? Like, why are we dabbling in this existential mud where, on the contrary, we see more and more people becoming darker, more demonic, more selfish? Metaphysicians have answered that question because it's winter. You are asking me why there are no daisy flowers around? Because it's winter. They can't be. Don't expect them to be. People you say, when you say about Satya Yuga there are hundred and fifty thousand super enlightened being, highly evolved beings on earth. Yeah! Yeah! That's how it should be like utopia. We should live in the best of the world. Why doesn't it happen now? Why aren't we intelligent enough to go there now? simply because it's not the season for it. We don't decide when spring is coming. Even the human beings being so smart and so on, they can cause some local violations. Like if you want to grow tomatoes late in the autumn, even in the beginning of the winter, or early in the spring, or even in the end of the winter, you can, but you have to build glass houses and you have to give warming system to them and then you can cultivate tomatoes even in the winter. But if you don't have, you cannot do it on a wide scale. You cannot decide next year all the farmers of Europe and North America are required in January to produce 100 billion gazillion tons of tomatoes because we are human beings and we dictate. No, we don't dictate anything. We still are subjected to spring, summer, Even as simple locally, we can build a glass house and produce 1,000 tomatoes. But that doesn't change 99.9% of what's happening. And that's why this is a very important thing to understand spiritually. The yogis simply say, have to understand in what time you live. Right now, it's the spiritual winter. So don't try any major heroism. Even if there was a Tibet, like a very spiritual part of earth, it had to fall. You could not have had a Tibet like the Tibet which was there in 1900, in 2010. In 2010, a Tibet like that, where people were med- were levitating and uh, flying uh, with demons or whatever, you know, creating tulkus, uh, or uh, I don't know, standing naked in the snow, would have been a scratch on the eye of the world. It would have broken the wall of silence. Right now we live in a time where people don't even believe that you can heal a cancer. 99.9% of the people, when they have a cancer, they go to chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. And they destroy themselves terribly. No, like people don't even believe that you can heal a cancer by diet and pranayama and other things like this. No, it's the role of ignorance, it's the role of silence, we live in a darkness. That's why sometimes we say jokingly, you know, that if we had the right money, we could buy an island in the Mediterranean or in the Pacific, and we could make the Agama but make it Republic, you know, where we can make a yoga land, where everybody is vegetarian, everybody is continent, everybody is, you know, like we do all the great things. That country would be squashed by big pharma, by the medical world, by the money lenders, by the banks and others, because it would be a thorn in the eye to the whole world. Now, if the whole world is indoctrinated to believe that surgery and chemotherapy are the solution to cancer and then you have an island where people don't do that and they don't have cancer, then everybody will want to immigrate to your island because you are a beacon in the darkness. Now, and then the dark forces will simply try to wipe it out That's why Tibet had to disappear. Not because some bad people conspired. You can put it that way. But I'm talking here about invisible forces. Which simply do not allow things which are too different to coexist. Because they would upset each other. They would simply put each other out of balance. So yes, it's the winter of mankind. Do not expect to see Satya Yuga happening here and now which simply says as in the laws of nature those that do not adapt are condemned to disappear that's how nature works adapt or die in Kali Yuga you have to be adapted to Kali Yuga if you utopically vadistanistically think that you are in Satya Yuga you will die you are just an unrealistic dreamer who will die i remember when i lived in denmark there was a girl somewhere, one of the guys new york the girlfriend of one of the guys and she was maniodepressive depressive and she went into a mental crisis and suddenly she threw all the things off the window of her house from the fifth floor and so on then she came to the yoga center and she stole all our cutlery from the kitchen we had a kitchen in the yoga center you know and she and People are asking, what are you doing? And she said, that's why we are in Kali Yuga because everybody is eating with iron instruments with you know, like forks and knives, which are made of steel. We should quit the use of steel and iron, you know, because that's why, you know, you who are yogis, you should know better. And these are demented people who think they can create Satya Yuga by throwing the cutlery to the dust bin and things like this. Satya Yuga will come when it will come. Spring comes on the 21st of March and you can bang your ass on the floor 100 days in a row and you won't make the spring come earlier with one day. Because it's the will of God, it's the Dharma, it's the way, it's the big plan goes. And you have to adapt to the big plan, not to foolishly try to have unrealistic expectations. We are in Kali Yuga. It's the winter of mankind. You see so many hypocrisy and falsity in spirituality. All the religions are falling apart. The deeper we go in Kali Yuga, people lose their confidence in priests, religions, everything. There is more and more materialism. Idealistic people die and materialistic people survive and they are the ones who write the history and they make you believe that the idealistic people were a bunch of fools and you no, know, it's better to be cool than this there is a sort of a involuntary automatic negative propaganda that everything is oh spirituality spirituality doesn't even exist modern psychology and brain science says that people that have religious visions, it's a form of a temporal lobe epilepsy. I love this one. Temporal lobe epilepsy. When you are like Yogananda and have a state of samadhi, you've just got yourself a temporal lobe epilepsy. Like I know, throw up a little bit on it because what's it? You know you are deeply sick. All the yogis should be committed in the nerve hospital. Because they are suffering from temporal lobe epilepsy. That's a great one. You know, it's like, this is what modern science is getting to, to destroy the magic, the mystery, the poetry, the mysticism, and a lot of things, you know, by replacing it with the knowledge, at least that knowledge would work, you know. A, a man like George Oshava healed 3000 cancers and today people with surgery and chemotherapy and this They cannot do a tenth of what Giorgio Shawa did without all the CAT scans and uh, tomography and all the billion, gazillion of dollars investments in a pseudo, uh, sometimes, not always, but sometimes a pseudo science of different kinds. And I'm not talking only about medicine because I actually appreciate enormously some of the conquests of medicine. It's not that I'm negative to that, But I'm simply saying in every branch of science, you have that. Like scientists demonstrated without any doubt that telepathy exists. It can be demonstrated that telepathy exists. But nobody knows on the basis of what energy it works. Because electromagnetic and other energies cannot explain telepathy. So if telepathy exists, then which is the energy by which it functions? How do we transmit telepathic messages and information. It's not known but you never, you have never been told in school that this is a place where science still has... Uh, you've been told that telepathy most probably does not exist, which is bollocks because there are parapsychology treatises which demonstrate with scientific basic experiments how much it exists and all that. So, ba- back to our story. Therefore, um Remember that these stages exist because of the evolution. Some, if you would live a farmer's life a thousand years ago, there are chores which are to be done in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, in the autumn. Like you are not picking up the apples from the tree in the spring, because there are no apples left in the tree in the spring. Every season has got its chores. In the winter time you prepare your agricultural tools. In the spring time you are plowing the land and sowing the seeds. And so on. Each season has its own things. Exactly in the same way, each yuga of mankind has got its own meaning. And it has to be seen, the metaphysicians have seen it, through the prism of universal evolution. Like different spirits get incarnated at different times. This is one of the questions which you always get when we say that it's possible that the hypothesis of reincarnation could be true. People always ask this question, which is probably coming from some books, it's out there, because it seems to be omnipresent as a sort of a logical objection. Then how do we explain that there are more and more people living on the planet Earth today? One of the explanations is, that people reincarnate faster because they are less spiritual and they want material experiences instead of staying in the astral body and have spiritual experiences that's a sign of inferiority, inferior spirits. and the other explanation is that other classes of spirits incarnate at different times of history it's exactly like a school which in the morning is used for primary school and in the afternoon is used by secondary school and in the evening it's used by some evening school for adults at different times of the day it's the same school this is the school the planet earth but that school is populated by different pupils so it's man human beings now and it's human beings 15,000 years ago only that the people who are incarnated the spirits that were incarnated 15,000 years ago are not among the spirits which are incarnated now. Now it's the time for the kindergarten, for the primary school, other spirits. And these spirits are many because there is a pyramid-like structure that the higher you go, the fewer they are. And that's why metaphysicians even coined the very disrespectful expression which is called the Pygmies of Kali Yuga. Not out of this respect for the African pygmies, but because in the beginning of the 20th century the pygmies were known as little people, small in stature, the smallest stature on earth, and also pygmies would mean like short lived. I don't remember if the actual African pygmies live less in lifespan, but the idea of the metaphysicians was to call the modern population the pygmies of Kali Yuga because they compared with those that lived a thousand years and were five meters tall, we are short in stature, short in life, and alas, very short in spirituality, very short in awareness, very short in morality, very short in devotion, very short in harmony. Pygmies of Kali Yuga, which means small human beings, small, also Um, metaphorically speaking. So this being said, uh, actually some uh, metaphysicians have started pointing at the fact that in the last 50 years the stature and the lifespan of people started increasing and that's why some of them point to the fact that we would be close to the end of Kali Yuga and we have entered in some remote or close transition period and that the end of this will be that in a few hundred years, we don't know how, there will be 100,000 people left on Earth, They will be five meters tall, and live a thousand years of age. Or whenever that will be, that's kind of the metaphysical theory for the evolution of the Yugas. That humanity transforms, and that this transformation is not just a DNA natural selection, there are invisible forces which the British biologist Robert Sheldrake has called morphogenetic fields. There are morphogenetic fields which oblige the humanity slowly, very slowly, to change, to transform. Actually, it's quite easy to see these morphogenetical fields at work. For example, take movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and on, movies where you can see Human bodies, preferably naked human bodies, but if not naked at least in swimsuits. You will see immediately how different are the Hollywood bodies, even men's bodies and others from the 50s with the ones from 2010. Extremely different, anatomically you can see differences. The way the muscles are, the way the bones are visible, a lot of things you know that you can see immediately just take three movies at 30 years each difference in time and you will see incredible changes. So there are some changes and of course a lot of this is speculative, is just speculation. What I'm trying to say here is that the accepted metaphysical theory is that this planet is the house of many types of spirits and they are incarnating on turns in periods of 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years, whatever. And that does, this is explaining some very powerful disruptions. Like even the Bible says that until 6,000 something year ago, there lived on the face of the earth, some people called giants. And the giants became nasty And they started having sex with the daughters of men, which means men were not the giants. Giants and men were two different things, but there could be sexual relationships between them. So they are pretty much similar. And therefore, and then God decided that their time was over. This landmark, which in the Bible is called the flood of Noah, is considered traditionally by metaphysicians to be the beginning of Kali Yuga the beginning of the winter of mankind. This is an interesting and a bit of a scary thing which these are the final things I'll say I'll conclude I know it's late in 10 minutes I'll conclude at least I want to get you started with these things. Um, Whenever a yuga finishes and the other one starts although there is a 500 year transition time or something we don't know exactly nobody measured scientifically nevertheless some bumps on the road happen for example if you are living in a village and there was winter and everything was frozen and then the spring is coming in the moment when the spring is melting the ice you can get some floods or there will be some ice bridge with tree trunks which blocks the river five kilometers up your village and the water is melting and melting and at some point this dam made of trunk of tree trunks burst and then you get a flood in your village. Like there will be a cataclysm because of the coming of the spring, it does not correspond mathematically with the coming of the spring, but it's about that time. Metaphysicians have identified that we know at least two large world cataclysms, which are indemonstrable, because of the various factors, I won't go there, And which happened one of them about 13,000 years ago and one of them about 6,000 something years ago. First one is the sinking of Atlantis and the second one is the flood of Noah and therefore metaphysicians say beware because every time when the Yuga changes to be able to create those huge changes in the humanity and in the DNA and everything usually something a bit bumpy happens because otherwise it's very difficult to produce a linear transformation so radically. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the TM founder, he came up and said if 2% of the world population would meditate, the next Yuga transition could happen softly. Like there will be no flood, there will be no sinking of Atlantis, there will be no similar phenomenon. But that is if humanity creates a lot of light energy, and a lot of positive karma, and stops creating negative karma, and stress, and misery, and tension in its environment. As as it looks right now, we do not have far, far from that, we do not have 2% of the world population meditating daily. We do not have that, and that's why most metaphysicians are in the opinion that we are heading, head forward, into some disaster zone. Either that disaster zone would mean that eventually somebody will press the red button and start a global nuclear war, or that a comet will hit the Earth, or something will happen. But uh, all these catastrophe theories are not as wild as they sound, because actually catastrophes happen periodically on the face of the Earth, and apparently they are needed from out there, To just change the conditions like exactly like you say okay primary school class is over bugger off clean the hole now the secondary school is coming in 30 minutes we need the hole for the new classes therefore there is a sort of wiping of the slate and restarting and in that restarting many things are lost like you know utopian people like this say that Atlanteans had strange technologies and with the sinking of Atlantis most of them got lost and we have the strange technology of internet and mobile telephones and so on and indeed if such a thing would happen would go back to Stone Age in three weeks and then it would be the reign of the strongest. Again it won't matter if you've got a good mobile telephone or anything else when the electricity have stopped worldwide then it's of no use. So what I'm trying to say is that it's plausible even if you are a rational mind it's plausible. I'm not trying to demonstrate anything I'm just telling you what the metaphysical theories are and the point of the greatest alarm I made there a diagram where I tried to show you that each yuga tends to start with a fresh energy. For example, in India They have the large epic of mahabharata and for those of you who don't know mahabharata is a epic a story in which humanity seen from the standpoint of india not of israel like the flood of noah from the standpoint of indian civilization humanity was going really bad selfish egoistic unspiritual and then krishna came as the 8th avatara of Vishnu as a divine incarnation and the mission of Krishna was that he was born like in the latter days, in the end days of the Treta Yuga and Krishna had to be physically present as the world got ushered into the next Yuga and the next Yuga meant from the standpoint of their little bubble there in India, that there should come some righteous rulers and those righteous rulers were the Pandavas, uh, Arjuna and his four brothers, the good guys. And the whole Mahabharata is about the world, the war of the end of the world. It is a sort of a end of the world. One world ends, Treta Yuga, the silver age, and another brave new world starts. And uh, when the brave new world starts, it goes up a little bit. You see, there is a peak there. Like it needs when God decided that the giants were a pestilence and the earth got too bad, he wiped them out and he selected Noah, who was a righteous man, religious, moral, full of faith, whatever. And so when Noah started, he started from a higher level than before the flood. So every passing is a sort of refresher it's a renewal it's like God injects spirit in the world it's a little bit of a here is a more one breath of oxygen so that you guys can get a little bit better because you are really taking a nose dive <clears throat> in a in a very limited way the same thing is said about Jesus that Jesus gave a breath of oxygen when he came Most of the religions in the area, Egyptian, Jewish, Phoenician, tribals, Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, they were trash. They were going very low. There was a lot of egoism and hypocrisy and falsity and Jesus came up with something fresh, giving a new boost to spirituality for hundreds of years or maybe for more than that. So every one of these interventions is meant to inject a little bit of morality, dharma, spirituality. So when the yuga starts the yuga is given a fresh start only that of course afterwards it declines again because it is the nature of entropy that things which are not sustained by spirit tend to fall apart. For example non-entropy, life, spirit, can produce wood. From wood, you take boards of wood and you create a dice. But this dice, if we let it stay here for 100,000 years, it will rot and turn into dust and the dust will be blown away. That's entropy, that everything falls apart. Even the sun falls apart. Even the pyramids of Egypt Fall apart. Everything falls apart. That's the inevitable work of time. And therefore spirituality and everything. Jesus comes. And gives a momentum. What is the message of Jesus today? 2000 years later. With priests buggering the choir boys. And people like George W. Bush. Pretending to be great Christians. And you know. Like what's Christianity today? But when Jesus was alive. And in the time of the Apostles uh, it was full-on therefore it had a moment of freshness and then of course humans can screw everything including religions including purity including it's the nature of entropy because when spirit does not inject itself then everything falls apart so the yugas have this characteristic that generally they fall apart and then there is some progress why did I make that diagram because I wanted you to have a visual thing of Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dvapara Yuga, Kali Yuga and to notice one thing from Kali Yuga to the next Satya Yuga that leap is three four times bigger than the usual leaps so if the second of them was the sinking of Atlantis and the third of them was the flood of Noah Then the metaphysicians say, can you figure out what the fourth is going to be when it's about four times bigger than the other ones? Like what can we actually expect? Because it seems that the change, the turning of the tables and the cleaning of the slate is going to be way, way more radical than it was. It's like the 12 o'clock of a clock. The clock is divided in four quadrants. You have from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. From 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock. From 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And from 9 o'clock back to 12 o'clock. The end of Kali Yuga and the beginning of Satya Yuga is like the 12 o'clock position. It's the biggest of all of them. Since the flood of Noah happened some 6,000 years ago, Bible scholars... Look on Wikipedia and others, they can tell you exactly how much they evaluate it was from that time. And since a yuga astronomically has six thousand four hundred years, the automatical logical conclusion says we are not only we are in Kali Yuga, we are in the end of Kali Yuga. The big question on everyone's lips being how close really because if it's two years away it's one thing and if it's 200 years away it's a totally different thing for us as individuals it means a completely different thing if this happens in your lifetime or at some time soon enough but not predictably in your lifetime this thing has been illustrated by jesus when he announced his second coming which is like satya yuga the apocalypse, the end of the world and the thousand years of light. This is said by Jesus when he announced his second coming and he said, but that day nobody knows when it's going to be. And then he says something really weird. He says not even the Son, he is the Son of God, not even the Son knows when it's going to be, only the Father in heaven knows. Which means in the metaphysical language, This is a highly classified information. Although we have some hints and although the eye with the mind of an engineer have looked into these things with great precision and tried to find out any research, any publication, any hint on it, I can tell you after all these years that it's a sort of a collective hypnosis over the planet Earth. This is one of the most forbidden pieces of information as forbidden as where is the entrance to Shambhala nowadays or as forbidden as a few other things. When exactly was the beginning of Kali Yuga and when exactly falls to the day the end of Kali Yuga. That's why uh, people had this foolish hope that it was the 21st of December 2012 and most science shows that it was something else. It was another cycle Because the Mayans had an astronomy based on the movements of the planet Venus. So it's a cycle related to Venus and something. But it is not really the Yugas of the Hindus. And yes there will be an end of the Kali Yuga. But it's not really known. Gurus who taught me these things. They told me that their opinion was that this was forbidden knowledge. Like Shambhala had put a seal on it. And it's like only if you become an enlightened super clairvoyant being you might find out have a vision of when it is but then you will be forbidden to talk about it like you will know for yourself because you've become a demigod and you deserve to have that knowledge because you are not a regular Tom, Dick and Harry but the regular Tom, Dick and Harry should still not be told about it and that's why there are so many confusions. That's why I laughed when Yogananda claimed that his guru Yukteswar claimed that Kali Yuga was over in 1931 or 32, and we are already in Satya Yuga. Actually, any tree shall be known by its fruits. History demonstrates that the 20th century has been the most bloodthirsty century in all the history of humanity. Most people died in violence of different kinds, war included in 20th century than in any other previous century and in every century there died more and more and the 21st century started really bad. Like if you compare these first 13 years with the first 13 years from the 20th century, way more people died in conflicts, wars and others already than in those years. So you can't really see much evolution and Satya Yuga as much as I would like to be very enthusiastic and say brothers and sisters uh, you know take heart take hope you know because uh, Satya Yuga is upon us people are growing up in height and in lifespan and you are doing meditation and awareness and there is a global awakening and the Pleiades is irradiating us with beneficial energy and soon we'll be in full-on spring of mankind I would love to tell you that thing but unfortunately I don't believe it's happening right now. We might be in a very discreet transitional period. Already the Chinese had a blessing which said may you live in interesting times. It would be a very interesting time. It might be very painful but very interesting times if any one of you here or all of us we will catch to see the end of Kali Yuga in our lifetime. We would really catch some of the most interesting time that it's possible on the face of this earth. But of course, if that interesting time means that a comet hits the earth and we go back to Stone Age, it's not necessarily a pleasant time. It will be very interesting, but uh, not something desirable or... Um, from, from the standpoint of pure direct comforts and others. So that's why I say pay attention, use your discrimination because there is indeed a very pertinent information in spirituality that we are close or very close to the end of Kali Yuga. Yogis from India and Tibet kept saying this ceaselessly that all the signs of the end of Kali Yuga are upon us in the last 2000 years and more even starting with the jewish prophets of older time like 25 centuries ago and with socrates and with buddha gautama himself humanity constantly not 100 percent, but to a huge extent persecutes its saints and buddhas it is incredible because the buddhas and the bodhisattvas are supposed to be the flowering of earth. They are the hope of the earth. They are the best product of humanity. People, when a Buddha is born or when a Buddha emerges, people should take that Buddha and put him on a golden throne and say, teach us, guide us, lead us. That would be Satya Yuga. But the funny, funny in inverted commas, the funny sad thing is, that in the last 25 centuries, even Buddha, even prophets like Moses and others, even Isaiah or you know, great prophets from Judaism, even great philosophers and sages from Greece like Socrates, not to mention tons of Christian saints, Sufi mystics, Hindu saints, Buddhist saints, they have been martyrized. That's what humanity, that's a sign of Kali Yuga. Humanity produces now and then men and women who reach to the knowledge of God and what does humanity do? Kills them, exterminates them because they are a pain in the neck. Because they are a thorn in the rib and they remind you constantly how selfish you are, how demonic you are, how materialistic you are, how you should live your life in a different way. No, Like if, do you admit that most probably if Buddha or Jesus would be absolute king in any kingdom of this earth they would forbid alcoholism and tobacco and consumption of drugs. Of course they would. So nobody, then people would crucify Jesus because takes booze from them. In Thailand, booze is forbidden just from 2 to 5 o'clock for some social reasons pertaining to the Thai society and the lonely planet and all the guides are whining like raided dogs that oh Thailand would be a wonderful land if it wouldn't be this thing with the booze. Like all the Westerners, all the Farang seem to be total alcoholics you know. In every country you go you have to have booze unrestricted any hour of the day or of the night. That's what makes a country a touristic paradise. Not for Jesus. no. If you say what would Jesus do? What would Buddha do? It's obvious that we live in a very distorted world and even some of you here in this room if you would be sent into a hypothetical kingdom where Milarepa is king you might consider it a dictatorship a sort of a Nazi fascistic dictatorship because what right has the state got to tell me not to drink? The, The right of Acting for your own good, because when you drink, you are on your own worst enemy. You shoot yourself in the foot like a fool. No, And Jesus is trying to save you from yourself, simply telling no more booze. It's what a parent would do. It's a beneficial parental thing, which today people are so demonically hooked on their so-called freedom, which is just the freedom to do ugly and demonic things, that people will say that's a fascistic, uh, dictatorial thing. Okay, then stay with the booze. Have the booze. That's why we don't have any Jesus or any Buddha as king in this world. It might happen in Satya Yuga, but in Kali Yuga, people love their shit so much that actually, if Jesus would come today, first time he survived three years and a half before they nailed him to a cross. I don't think if a Jesus would emerge now and do exactly what Jesus did he will not survive three years and a half. He will be exterminated much faster than that. That's why I'm saying Kali Yuga is deeper at this point and the good news is that it might come to an end and the bad news is that it might come to an end too late for your lifetimes. All the bad news is that if it comes to an end, it might come to an end with some big bump on the road, which will make you live in very, very interesting times, but not very cozy times. That is the theory, so you understand what is said when we speak about yugas, cycles of time, and what is this Kali Yuga. The descriptions in Mahanirvana Tantra, and other Hindu texts about Kali Yuga are very politically incorrect. So I won't even bother. I have enough rumors running about me. On the net and blogs. And things like this. I'm not going to sh- hit the fan with that shit again. But when you read the Hindu scriptures. They condemn. Some things which today are. Like this. Like everybody takes them for granted. No, It's a little bit like the Bible. which For which Sodom and Gomorrah. Are uh, the. Acme of abomination. And today if you tend to say something against the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, you are just a Nazi dictator, right-wing asshole, tyrannic, blah, 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 blah. blah. Because people love their shit. So uh, when you read Hindu scriptures, you'll find some very politically incorrect things about how Kali Yuga is defined, like signs of Kali Yuga, such as about the status of women, about the mingling of races, and all sorts of things which the ancient Hindus considered a no-no. They were total taboos for them. Somebody can say, well, they are narrow-minded and these are specific religious idiosyncrasies and so on. Surely time will tell. Time will tell. And uh, I hope it will be really pleasant and you'll do lots of meditation to help this planet. And at the same time, I hope at some time in this life or in the next, you're going to live some very interesting times and witness some of these things. Fact is that history tells us they did happen before and uh, history gets a completely new meaning. You see history, since I know about these things 30 years ago, I'm looking at history in in such a different way and I always see new things and things are fitting and it gets so much meaning when in a few years you start seeing how things fit and actually how things evolve in this way. It's enough. I kept you a bit late tonight. I know some of you are even having classes tomorrow morning or retreats. Let's stop here because it's been a bit longer than usual. Namaste to all of you and thank you for joining tonight. With this, we have finished. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.